Hello friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr. You're listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thank you for tuning in to this episode and I hope you enjoy it. It's episode 199, unbelievably. Six years in, pretty much to the month. I think I actually technically launched it in um, March 2017. But yeah, here we are. How's 2023 working out for everyone? Good start. I've had a deck clearing few weeks, I must say, which has been good. Um, just cracked on with giving myself some much needed headspace for the year, to be honest. Hence why it's been a fairly slow start to the podcasting um, calendar. But as you know, if you listen to my special Housekeeping Corner bonus episode that I put out last week, I've also been busy prepping for a new era of Looking Sideways, Looking Sideways 2.0 if you like, um, during which I'm launching a partial paywall and subscription service over at Substack. Um, I'll talk more about this in Housekeeping Corner at the end. In the meantime, let's get on with it. So after that hugely self-indulgent Christmas special, during which I chatted to Tim and Gandal about how much I'd been looking forward to chatting to Nathan Gallagher, I thought the obvious follow-up was to chat to Nathan Gallagher. So that's what I did. I headed up to his place in North London and sat down for this, what was for me a ridiculously enjoyable conversation. Nathan is an old snowboarding pal who I met way back in the 1990s. Um, I'm going to say it was 1996 when we were both working for Jeremy Sladen at the Snowboard Asylum at the ski show. Um, as a couple of young idiots, really, into snowboarding and try to earn a bit of money for seasons and try to find our way in the industry. As is the way with the wonderful British snowboarding scene, we stayed in touch over the years and eventually became very good and old friends, um, as happened with everyone, really. And I've watched with pride and interest over the intervening 20-odd years as he's created a really unique and remarkable photography career for himself. Now, as you're going to hear, Nathan's got a lot of interesting things to say for himself about art, creativity, the voices in our heads that dictate the paths that we follow, and indeed our wider search for validation. Uh, now, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. It took its own sweet path, went to some unexpected places and was just in the end a really enjoyable experience in and of itself, which is about all I can ask for six years in of doing this. I'll be back at the end, like I say, for a bit of a housekeeping corner reflection on Looking Sideways 2.0. But in the meantime, here's me and Nathan Gallagher on validation. Enjoy. Hello, turn up a little bit as well. Oh, I have a DJ voice. Hello, you got a good, you got a good podcast voice. Is there a um, correlation between nose size and podcast voice? I've always thought that. I've got a massive nose, um, so uh, we can smell our own. <laughs> <laughs> Roman, a Roman that's nose. It, yeah, that's a nice it, way of putting it. I think it used to be politely a called, strong, a strong yeah. Roman nose. Yeah, I've got to say, I hadn't realised that um, you played the guitar at the beginning of that. That was beautiful. That's not me. Well, you just put it down. That was really wonderful. <laughs> I always Nath. thought it was like Ewan or something. No, no, that do you know who that was. That is um, Matt Ward. Do you remember Matt? He used to work for Document. Oh shoot! Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And can the, I swear on this one? Of course you can. Okay. Yeah. Um, and 
that came about because I did the first, he, he used to have a desk in my office. Um, and he's a mate. I haven't seen him for a while, but he lives in Brighton. And um, I was, I mean, so it was nearly six years ago that I started this. And I, um, I'd done the first episode and I was just about to, I'd just finished it. And I had a friend of mine helping me with the edit. And he said, you should do a theme tune or something. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. Um, and then I sort of turned to Matt and was like, can you like make up a little riff or something? Because he's like an incredible guitar player. He did that off the... He literally picked up the guitar and played that and went, what about that? And I was like, yeah, that'll do. And I hit, I hit record on GarageBand through the mic on my computer. And that's, Isn't that wonderful? And that's that. You and you did the Type 2 one, which is okay. the, a, a, a bit of a, you know... But it's just great, isn't it? Someone can just... Yeah. Just, just throw that out. Just yeah. from nothing, create something. I mean, I do play guitar very, very uh, perfunctorily. Is that the word? Perfunctorily? Um, do you still sing a lot? Not for a while. I'm, I've been playing in this country covers band in Brighton for a while. I don't, I'm not the singer. I'm like guitarist and no um, like backing vocals, but everyone had kids. You do both types of music, country and western. Country and western. <laughs> yeah. No, we did. We played a lot of um, like, you know, Laurel Canyon sort of stuff. Like Birds, Grand Parsons, nice. Towns Van Zandt, you know. And that's like live, you're doing that? Yeah, we, we did load. Well, we didn't do loads of gigs. We used to do like two gigs a year. It's basically like in Brighton, when I was really serious into making music, obviously we met like this massive community there. Made, yeah. made a load of friends that used to be in bands and we we all just formed this little band together as a fuck about really. Do um, you know I used to be in a band? Yeah, well, you uh, you know, you're a, you're an extremely accomplished piano player. In fact, <laughs> could you do as a tune for this? I couldn't possibly. No. <laughs> What this whole thing? I couldn't. I couldn't possibly. You couldn't possibly. I might get you to. I might get sell. I mean, you know. Did that pick up? I don't. It all picked up. I'm gonna keep that in. But I might. I might get. I might set up and get you to do one. Oh, I couldn't possibly. Of course, I would. Quite nice to end it with. I got you in to do a song. I got my freight. I mean, shambles to do a song on the banjo when I interviewed him as well. It's an amazing thing to be able to just do. Like my parents made me learn the piano, and it's like forever grateful of that. It's a place where I retreat to whenever I just want to get away from everything and just not think about anything else. Because when you improvise and you can't think, that wasn't improvisation, obviously, but um, you can't think of anything else, and it's quite nice. So what you were like, right? You're gonna have piano lessons, and it's gonna be. So you did all the grades, yeah. Like so, when I was. Uh, me, uh, I've got, uh, at the time I had a brother and a sister, um, subsequently had another brother. Uh, but we were like, who wants to learn piano? Of course, we were all like, yeah, yeah, I want to learn the piano. Um, but then you get, um, <laughs> you get through the initial excitement and then it becomes quite mundane. But my, my teacher uh, was brilliant. In, uh, uh, Jill Taylor, her name was, and she, she basically realized uh, I'm not, into that and so she taught me to play jazz and she taught me how because i was going to say because like going going through the sort of classical grade in education is Mm. quite different from ending up like jazz and improvisation it is is kind of how you play isn't it yeah although um i think oscar peterson uh, he he always says that you can't understand and you can't really play jazz until you can play classical and you can't understand classical until you play jazz but they are intrinsically linked but yeah the 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 grade system and learning that 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 way of learning piano is, is it's not freestyle, it's, it's rote, you know, it's that yeah. kind of, and that is arduous and not enjoyable. And I remember I used to get my teacher just to play sheet music as fast as she could possibly play it. That always entertained me. And so 
uh, she taught me the blues scale um, in C and I improvised off that as well as sort of sliding in principles and stuff like that but I didn't go up to a very high grade because of that but like I play piano every day right and I think that that speaks for itself I think it depends what you're trying to do if you want to become a concert pianist that's different route right but if you yeah. just want some somewhere to go and have something to that you can do enjoy then a sign of success that of that is just enjoying playing every day and that that's what I do also quite a party piece the old uh, Groundhog Day Bill Murray <laughs> I, honestly, I, <laughs> I mean and I've, I've definitely Steve seen, Martin I've I definitely think. seen you do that oh like, man but, I mean, it, is, it, it is there isn't it it's like it's like it's a classic sort of trope isn't it like oh there's a piano does anyone play oh I play a little bit you yeah know? And then being yeah. able to actually play properly. And, and I think because they sort of sit in rooms statically, yeah. as opposed to a guitar has to have been bought. Yeah. Or to be able to sing, it's an unusual thing to sort No, of go, you're right. Hey, piano- who can sing? Pianos <laughs> tend to just be sat there, don't they? Yeah. Not waiting for somebody to come along. Yeah. And, and there's a potential in that object, right? Yeah. So That's you, brilliant. you see it in the room and there's like there's this sort of an unknown, a question mark. What what person can attach themselves to that and create something that wasn't there before? And I think that there's something nice in that. It's quite a flex. Yeah. Is it has it ever led to anything, you know getting girls? I wasn't gonna say yeah, that. You were. <laughs> when I played Glastonbury the first time, um the true story, I, I have genuinely played at Glastonbury. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know okay. that. I did know that. Oh uh, yeah, so that was uh, that's because Tim always talks about that. Um Whenever we do these famous first words, you know, I judge for them. And yeah. always, they, they always announce me. And they, Nathan Gallo knows every word to every song since the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Closed Glastonbury three times. Yeah. Obviously, it's very, has a sparse relationship with the truth. But um, yeah, that that was a nuts experience. Like to actually, I mean, Jack White, I, I saw Jack White watching us play. What stage are you on? Well, that's the thing. So Glastonbury, if anyone, anyone's been there, obviously they'll know there's like hundreds of stages yeah. and when we played it was back in the days that Las Vegas was part of Glastonbury um, and we were playing in that area so we played a few different stages within the Las Vegas we once played in a boxing ring which was inside a a church an inflatable church I think it was <laughs> I mean it's proper Glastonbury stuff like it's the true Glastonbury is what people say um, but we played swing music you know, and that has its own kind of validation thing yeah. in that if you're playing well people can swing dance and they you know there's a whole group in london definitely but around that that are swing dancers and and if if they really like what they hear they'll step up and dance but they won't do it unless it's good yeah and so like you it's a really amazing thing like people enjoying the music's one thing but then when you see these people doing these kind of moves and you're like oh okay so i'm doing it okay and they're the aficionados of what's what's good and bad but we put in that band was um also uh maria court i remember yeah uh, I talk about an incredibly talented person. Like, Maria's like a makeup artist, isn't she? Yeah, or I think like I don't, I'm going to get it wrong, but I think creature effects, special effects, creature effects. I think she does. So she did Chewbacca's hair. Yeah, she in she Star Wars, does these like crazy yeah. involvements and with some enormous Hollywood films, aren't she? Huge. Yeah, yeah, and we used to dress up for the band. We were a, at one point we were a zombie pirate swing band, and I right. think the idea was to take as much attention away from the music as possible. Right. But yeah, it was great fun. That I chapter. mean. When you were talking then, I was thinking, because one of the things that always struck me playing music, and I mean, I played in like a very localized sort of Brighton indie scene, you know, and basically the people that actually had chops that could really play were always the ones that had really studied it as kids or like really put the hours in as kids. And it, it kind of reminds me of learning a foreign language when you were a kid or something. Ultimately, having that skill 
really does open doors when you're a grown-up doesn't it you know like because you you can just in your case you can it can lead you to playing at Glastonbury you know yeah like it or in, or in Ewan's case who's been on the podcast you know it can lead you to being in Bonobo yeah like or and that's all come from and I, I used to see that quite a lot there would always be people around town who were like clearly like just massively accomplished musicians and they would just always be like completely in demand because in yeah. in, in our case we'd have ideas that we just couldn't play so we so we'd be like all right let's find someone who could play them you know like well there's an interesting thing isn't there um about ability and perception of ability dunning dunning kruger effect have you heard of that yeah yeah so i don't know if you've talked about this before but it's a fascinating thing and it was it this idea that your own ability is linked with your perception of your own ability so the more the least <laughs> the less you know about something the better you might think you are at it and so you start off in this position let's say it's guitar you play something you think i'm actually pretty good at this and you get you know you get your licks but you don't realize how bad you are because you don't understand that minutia difference yeah. between proper good and just okay or good and then as That's... you get better then you, your perception goes down and there's this interesting drop where you 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 think you're actually no good anymore yeah and then that goes down and then it's superseded by your actual ability and so given enough time your then your ability and perception are aligned. That's so funny because with our friend Ewan, I definitely witnessed that. Like the the more accomplished he got, the worse he considered himself to be as a musician, and the more he went through different doors, end up in different circles with with you know because obviously you just end up playing with better people or whatever. He would just come come away from those experiences like oh my god, yeah, <laughs> you know? and Humbling, that would lead right? that would yeah. lead him to to then work harder and well that's and, it isn't it and, 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 and practice more because he was like fuck i actually i've got a lot of ground to make and it's up that here. decision yeah i think it's that decision which is the make or break of whether somebody actually does something with it but i think that beginner ignorance that you're talking about also has power doesn't it because if you how else are you gonna get yourself up there to, absolutely cause, yeah because I, I i think back to like some of the gigs we did when we were young and i'm you know, I literally physically create. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. But I think there's a there's but, an but, inertia but that, it creates. But, but right? that was that was just blind confidence. Yeah, you know, there's like, a momentum. Sorry, not inertia. A momentum it creates in that confidence level. Yeah, and and that it needs to be enough. You need to have enough ego, <laughs> self confidence. Yeah, or at least appreciation to some extent of what you're doing, that you can get through the part where your perception of ability drops. Yeah. And and then that can lead you on to better places. Yeah. But I think that if you haven't got enough love, um, then you will peter out at that difficult cross section where where you're where you realise in actual fact, if you were to do this for real, it's gonna require a lot more work. Yeah. And I, I think that's when you you have to fall back on the like, well, you know, the old classic, we just do it because we enjoy it. It's sort of cliche, isn't it? You know, at some yeah. point you have to you have to get to that realization that the, the the wildly unrealistic ideas that you might have had are not sustainable. And like you say, if you're going to carry on doing this endeavor, there's got to be some kind of you know relationship with reality. And if you if you reconcile that, then you'll probably carry on as you as you did and get through it. You know, yeah. Or you might or you might end up. I mean, it's why a lot of people I think quit creative projects isn't it i was gonna say it does tie in massively with what i do now and also with you know before we started recording you were talking about validation mm. you know is something that you're interested in talking about today well, and that's, and that's yeah, also really connected to this yeah, isn't it absolutely and i think that like so i'm 
a photographer and director, right? So I um, take photographs like lots of other people do and I make a living from it, which not so many people do. And I've worked and done some pretty cool projects, which I'm super lucky to have done. And I mean that, luck. Um, but, but there is like sort of... I think it's interesting because back in the day when I started, back in the day is a terrible phrase, but when I started pre-digital publishing, right? And this is this is pertinent to photography specifically, that um, the whole Dunning-Kruger effect and validation and all that, it had gatekeepers. So there were photo editors. Like for me, it was Ian Sansom. Yeah, because um, you started out shooting Fresh UK, right? Um, so it was Snowboard UK. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, Back uh, when I lived in Vale and I was taking photographs of snowboarders uh, like Tim, uh, Tim Warwood and um, Tom and John Eldridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'm still in touch with John. Oh, he's, they're good lads. Yeah. And, um, still absolutely ripping. Paul and just, and a, quick, just a quick aside, um, John, I think, has got three kids and they're absolutely ripping. They're worth a follow on Instagram. It's hilarious. Really? He's, he's got one, I'm sure he won't mind me talking about this. He's got one lad who's probably five, who's like an amazing BMXer. It's yeah. it's really cute anyway. But yeah, but yeah, I remember, I remember this scene. Yeah, then, Hamish, so, Hamish Duncan was around at Hamish one point, did, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he swung through. Johnny yeah. Roderick. Rodders. Yeah, yeah, so we met Johnny out there. But what I was going to say was that back then, like that uh, self-perception of greatness, or at least a, 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 an inflated view of your own ability um, was fine because you had that enthusiasm, you sent it off and there was a gatekeeper who go, okay, yeah, that's, that's a good image. That's not, and here's why. And, you know, he, Ian was really good because he completely, t- I don't realize that at the time, but subsequently realized he took me under his wing to a large extent because he would tell me quite simply, okay, this is why I'm not using that image. You need to see his face, even though it's like a switchback side three, yeah. 10 meters out of the pipe. You need to see the guy's face. It's just a better image. And so I would learn from that. And obviously looking at magazines, I'd learn from that. And, and, but he was the arbiter of what was okay. Now, today, with self-publishing platforms, which can blow up to huge scales, scales that publishing houses are jealous of, for obscure reasons, means that the power and that gatekeeping power is no longer there. And what you find a lot now at least I find a lot now on social media platforms is bad advice. <laughs> and that's, I think that's probably a result. That's of that. really interesting. So you're, cause usually when people talk about this shift from let's call it analog to digital media, just mm-hmm. for ease of like referring to that transition and you're right, you know, there's obviously it's quite a, it's quite a well-worn argument, you know, the digital tools that you describe of, democratized creativity you know they've 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 removed the gatekeepers but you're sort of saying that that was useful for you in terms of like validation and also kind of like an apprenticeship almost because because those people in positions of power and and they were positions of power that's a totally fair comment Mm -hmm. yeah like they 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 also act as like presuming that people like you were lucky enough with Ian I was lucky enough people like Chad and like the mentors that I had Chad's amazing as but well. they all had Chad really helped me out as well I should point yeah, that out and yeah they, and they all had really pure intentions it was just all about helping people wasn't it and, yeah. and, and doing good work and I certainly benefited from that so it's a really interesting point that you make so you, you, you're sort of saying these days with that element removed it's a, it's a free for all it is and, the, and I feel that the result from that is you get 
some very young photographers offering worldly advice, which which is, is why you connect into the Dunning Kruger effect. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is which is well intentioned, and I don't think it's anything but that. Um, no, but, you're so right. It's really fascinating. Yeah, and and I think that that's a result of it, and I also think that um, one other result is this validation or lack thereof. I think that the creative industries specifically creative industries which are solo operators so filmmakers yeah and um uh photographers illustrators not so much but still the same there there aren't these um these gatekeepers these validators and so that's really that's really you, true so, so then what what makes you a photographer right is it is it the fact that you're making a living from it no it's not is the, is it the fact that you're taking good photos i think so but then who says what a good photo is you know who is to say what art is and it becomes a much bigger conversation but there is there is a way of telling there's i think that the the knowledge of what's what exists out there in terms of the product of the arts of humanity and a, a knowledge of that is going to inform whether a person is just mimicking something that they've already seen or whether they are looking at and building on the existing body of work right um, and I'm not to say that I know all these things, but yeah. I do sense that there is, you see the same photos again and again. Well, I mean, I interviewed Chris Burkhard in August. and Interesting and guy. Then, and then we did the DB fund. Yeah. Me and our friend John Weaver. Yeah, I spoke to him. And a that. lot of the entries we got for that were, um, I want to, it was basically like, I want to be Chris Burkhard. I mean, I'm going to say like a, a fifth of the entries were like, I want to go surfing in place X and take... And that's rife, isn't it? It but is. That, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. Because we see, we do, we want to do what we see and we think, oh, that would be good to do. And I could do something with that. Well, I guess the validation these days is, is the metric, isn't it? You but know? that's terrible. I know, that's exactly. It's a terrible validation. It's a, to- it's a terrible validation. And also I was just thinking then, you know, when I worked for White Lines, like we, we, sold, we sold fuck all copies. I mean, I think, you know, everyone knows that, but we didn't give a shit. You know, we weren't sat there thinking like, oh, right, well, we haven't, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can honestly say that never even crossed mine and Chris's well, mind. What would you say the metric of success was there then? The fact that we had a job that we liked and we had work that we enjoyed. Okay, so if that's... And, a, and also the fact we had a platform that, we, all that, of those we, existed, that, we, that we respected. All of those existed purely because the advertising was there. Sure, yeah. But that's my point. So the, the, the metric of success in that particular case was that you were creating a scene which needed to be, which which um, warranted the support of a brand. So it wasn't necessarily the, the quality of output per se. It was the quality of the community that you were creating. Yeah, and, and this is so fascinating because I'm, I'm completely not immune to this at all. Like I still, I mean, I'm not on Instagram at the minute because Good for you. I noticed that I was doing this thing, you know, like I was comparing myself to stuff I was seeing on there and you know feeling like I was coming up short and it was depressing me and you know with with looking sideways like I've really purposefully not focused on numbers or Mm. metrics in the slightest like I really haven't and that sounds like a bit of a line but I honestly haven't you know I quite often get asked like how many listeners have you got and I genuinely don't know like I don't even look at it I remember you you talked about this with on the Christmas podcast yeah yeah and and that is a purposeful thing because exactly like what you're saying like the value in this, I don't think, is is in numbers. And if I ever get somebody that wants to work with me as a as a brand or whatever, and, I, and the first question is like, how many listeners have you got? I'm always a bit like, I'm probably not for you, to be honest. Like, mm. if you if you want, if that's what you want, then 
you just want to go and find the biggest numbers yeah <laughs> you know? absolutely well that ain't what i'm doing here what i'm doing here is what you're talking about trying to have an interest in community and conversation and also you know when you look at numbers and you look at people as numbers then you, you it's a terrible way of assessing for a brand of assessing whether that's a good audience for your brand well so, it, well it's it's the old i've met the man on the street and he's a cunt isn't it or like you know what's the peep show line you know you yeah, can't yeah. trust ordinary people you, you ordinary people, people like, like like coldplay you know, it's, <laughs> and Hitler, yeah. it, but it's, it's it's that thing isn't it because it becomes like a you know, like you said, the validation comes from from just sheer weight of numbers and 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 force. Yeah. So, know. so then when you're in a situation, so let's imagine you're you want to be a photographer, and I get asked this a lot. Like, so I want to be a photographer, or usually it's like my son wants to be a photographer. What should he study? What should he do? And stuff like that. It's a difficult one to answer because, like, some of my favorite photographers to like on the social media platforms, they don't make a living taking photos, but I love their pictures, you know. And you know they've got following and stuff like that, but I know that they don't make a living. I know they've got other jobs and they do it as a hobby, and um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and there's an interesting so the word amateur comes from the French from the heart, right? And and that's that's what it means. It's to do something from the heart. Title right there. There you go. There we go. And so then, so that's what amateur is. And, and suddenly you realize, okay, right, so it's not a dichotomy of amateur and professional. You, you want to stay an amateur for the rest of your life. If you don't, then you'll go into the office nine to five. Yeah. Right? So professional, to me, is the ability to live the life I live doing what I love, right? And <laughs> I have two sides to my photography. And it, this is important because of what, the way I'm sort of describing it. I, I have a dark room over there. <laughs> Uh, which uh, I shoot and I develop and I print my own stuff. It has a tiny Instagram account, but in reality I do it for myself and I give away the prints. If anybody says, oh, I like that, I just send it to them in the post. And um, there's no money involved and, and it's my art, right? That's one side of me and that cannot make money. It, it can't. It sounds it, like it's important almost that it doesn't. It's exactly that because yeah. if you've got two photographs yeah. and they're both priced at 200 quid each, right? And you go, okay, that one sold, but that one didn't. So that one's suddenly better than that one, right? So that, that's terrible. So suddenly your, your, your own appreciation for what your aesthetic is is based on somebody else's judgment on how much art costs, right? So that side of things entirely free. And then the other side of what I do is the bit where I take photographs for brands and I, my job is giving people images that they've asked for and also kind of what they actually really need. Yeah. So it's, it's that translation of what a brand needs um, and also having that knowledge of what order exists in the market and, and riffing on that a little bit. Hold that thought. I want to come back to that because I've okay. got a few questions about that, but I've got a couple more points about this digital analog yeah. validation thing. Because a couple of things that struck me, um, I mean, we, we probably do sound like old farts, like, you know, with that, with that like... It's all relative. Well, you know, well, there's a lot of kids that... Because I see it with, with writing. There's one person I follow on Instagram who is quite a successful journalist and it absolutely blows my mind because they can't write. Like, they couldn't write the way out of a paper bag. And I'm constantly amazed. And they've got this enormous following and and they're getting published. And I'm, and I'm, I'm a bit like, what am I missing here? <laughs> like, this is... So, but then a part of me thought, am I just getting old... Like, am I, you know, like, is that, is, is that 
maybe like a bit of a natural thing that you know the old, du- the, old the, the old Douglas Adams like what what comes in when you do you, you know that quote which is a thing what what's in place when you're born is normal what comes in when you up, up to 30 is terrifically exciting and then after after 30 everything that comes in is like the devil's work that shouldn't shouldn't be touched uh, yeah, with yeah. a barge pole like a you know paradigm of technology yeah. basically yeah that makes sense um and part of me's thought, you know, maybe I'm just a bit, a bit getting old. I think if you if you're aware of that, I think it's probably not that. I think if you're not aware of it, I think that's when that kicks in. I think I've lost jobs to people, uh, and I've seen the jobs were done by photographers who have got huge Instagram followers, but have no like they haven't got the history that I've got yeah and that's fine like that's not the job for there's me a, there's a couple of like really famous photography accounts that I'm not going to name that me and Owen are constantly like it's just incredible <laughs> what but then but you <laughs> think about it there's if for that to work there's an agency whose job is to get um an opportunity to see yeah of their image and that person is essentially a channel yeah so they yeah. are yeah a channel and that's what they're hiring and more power to them that's fine and but but the jobs that I tend to do are a little bit more ingrained than that and they tend to involve um, uh, people more and I think that that's something which you don't tend to see as much online Um, there are some exceptions uh, people who've built up big followings who work with um, celebrities and stuff like that I do a lot of stuff with well-known athletes and celebrities and stuff I mean you do stuff with Andy Murray Ronaldo Top, yeah. top tier talent top tier talent you know yeah. like the, the alliteration so, on that but again let's come back to that. the other point i wanted to make on the, the other theme was there's a lot of interesting cultural um tensions that come from this dynamic that we're talking about as well there's particularly one in surfing which i've talked about before which is um so there's a there's a a few older surf photographers who are really miffed well a lot of them of the kind of Instagram etiquette around publishing surf photos. So, um, you know, like if you, if there's a good swell in Cornwall, the old, the older photographers would know not to put those pictures on Instagram because that's going to do the thing that surf culture tells you not to do, which is to tell newcomers about this wave and bring in new visitors. But for young, for, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people that, I mean, this is just me observing this. I'm not involved in this conversation, but for, the younger people that do that, young photographers that have got quite a good profile on Instagram and are just banging it up there, shot this today, it's great, check it out, don't really get that nuance mm. and are a bit like... And I think I think, I think, think that's also interesting, isn't it? Like this this kind of dynamic that we're talking about, how it can culturally have an impact as well. Because yeah. in that case, both sides have sort of got a point. Yeah. And, and, what, yeah, and the yeah. outcome will be that but it will just change. There is a right outcome though, yeah. And, and, and the thing is that ultimately, if you don't have a, an intrinsic knowledge of the thing you're shooting and a relationship with that, then you might win the short game, but you'll lose the long game because what will happen will be there's no difference between one Instagram photographer and the next Instagram photographer following the same swell. And so then you get 40 photographers and nobody wins, right? Whereas if the rule of thumb is that I mean I'm not familiar my surfing ability and my knowledge of surfing you get you get the wider I get the idea yeah yeah. so if you secret spot if you start if you if you're careful with that information if you draw it out and if you can you can protect it for the for the good of um elongating that lifespan of that that thing then that's got to be the better way to go right but that 
you know, it comes, I think it's not malicious. I think it comes from a place of ignorance in terms of like newcomers. And there are similarities with that and um, things like day rates, yeah. for example. Um, common question is how much do you charge a day for photography? I can tell you right now exactly how much I charge a day. I'm not really going to do that. Um, but the point is that if a photograph's worth using, it's worth paying for. And I know you've talked about this before in the past, about is it ever right to work for free on your own Substack, right? Um, and my position on that is it isn't. And oh, re- you won't surprise you to hear I'm the same, <laughs> even though I have done that, obviously, and I'm sure you have as well. But but I think it's important not yeah. to. And I think it's important for... Um, I A lot of photographers will ask me how much to charge for something and I'll tell them exactly how much I would charge for it. Yeah. Because I would rather that they knew what proper money should be. Yeah. Um and try and get that money for themselves and we maintain the industry yeah. as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Rather than it be a race to the bottom. And there are other pressures outside of that which are going to do for photographers in in the long term. But that is would be a the pluralistic nature of digital photography has led to everybody being photographers and brands can just say hey we want to use this picture is that okay and then we'll give you a tag or whatever well that's why i found the the line of argument about that people putting on that substack about um we have to do it to get on the ladder just to be completely bogus because as you because it just does as you put it lead to a race to the bottom because it'll always be someone cheaper and you you can never uh, in my experience I, i mean it could be different for other people when i set a rate for a client it can it never goes up you know so if you've got a a, a client rate so something for one particular client okay this is what i charge that client with the idea that i'll do a couple of jobs at that and then we'll up the rate and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen and they won't respect you for it well i i mean we we you helped me with a bit of work probably 18 months ago in on our day jobs and i was really impressed i asked you to shoot that um that rugby campaign oh yeah 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 yeah. and yeah. you and you were like you can't afford me basically oh, yeah. <laughs> but in the night in, in a really you know we're all friends so it was just yeah. a phone call so i wasn't down. offended or anything yeah. you know I, I was actually really impressed because you because you were like i came off that call and i was like that is so refreshing like he really knows his value and not only that he's really prepared to to just put it out there which is really rare i mean because if i look at um what we do on my day job, the market agencies that are on ACM, you know, we, we, we still have a problem with that. We still like culturally, it's, it's actually really hard to have the confidence to charge correctly. I mean, mm. you know, we're the most niche fucking marketing agency in the country, really, you know, like, Oh, we trade off this actions, but you know what I mean? Like it's really specialized. And, and what we do is, is obviously clearly has value. So if brands want to come to us and work with us, you know, we we should we should have the confidence to say well what we do is really unique it, it's effective but it's still quite hard well here's a trick and it's amazing and it comes from a part of the human condition right and i read an article on this and i'm going to misquote it massively but there's a thing called temporal meiosis wonderful term and it basically was talking about the perception of time or the the, the perception of time in the in the distant past and distant future becomes compressed right so for example if you're in a cast you break your leg you're in a cast at the age of 15 or whatever at the time it feels like that three months is forever or however long it but then the, the, the summer years, holidays when you're a yeah, kid exactly. yeah exactly yeah, but yeah. then in 10 years time you look back it was a blink of an eye yeah. and it gets shorter and shorter so this is a weird thing that the human brain 
we take for granted, but the human brain does. It's a compression thing. It helps us manage memory. The, the, one of the results of that, according to this article, was that it's, it becomes very easy, or it becomes easier to step outside, or take yourself out of a situation and give somebody else advice on it, advice that you wouldn't take yourself. And this is the principle of scratch cards, right? And it uses this in the article, so I'm completely like um, uh, plagiarizing. But scratch cards, you say to somebody, what are you doing? You've got more chance of getting hit by lightning whilst carrying a shark or something. <laughs> you, you, what, you're an idiot. You shouldn't do that. Don't waste your money. It's, it's idiot tax or whatever. But when you're at that counter and you see them, you think one of them has got yeah. 200 grand behind it. Yeah, yeah. When you're and, putting and that so, bet on. Yeah, so you're there and it's like, Oh, and they really play on that. The same thing happens with with work. If if I've got something where I'm having a wobble about my own self worth, um, obviously I can look at what I've invoiced before. But you know, every day is a new day, and and it, I think it's completely human and completely natural to to think what if, right? Um, but I think that if I step outside of it and imagine somebody else is asking me for that advice, and I really have to pretend to the point where I'm always writing an email to that person and explaining to them why this is important, then it becomes clearer. And then I can take that advice because I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm thinking non-personally about it. And, and you take the personal out of it and you actually are aware, okay, you've got an agency which is niche and therefore it is a, you have a USP which has a unique access to a high spend market of influential people. It's everything now if you were to if you knew if you pretended somebody else had that agency you could give all that advice to yeah the no, you are you're completely right and, and, and it's a really nice thing to do um and and i think that that's something which which is why i, I kind of love helping other photographers out um like assistants to me and also just like peers whoever whoever calls because it helps me out right i'm advising them what i would do and then when the job comes in for me i'm like okay well this is what we do um and yeah, yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm getting I'm getting better at it, but um, yeah, it's interesting. I'd never heard of that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to I'll find the article. I'll have to take I'm not it sure board. what it was. It was a new scientist, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you. Like when we were texting, I mentioned like I use the word steeliness about you when it comes to the work that you do. Is that a, a, another way of saying Machiavellian? No, I don't think so at all. Okay. No, and I think you've kind of demonstrated that though with that last chat about charging mm. and you also used the phrase the phrase earlier which i think i read in in your thing in john weaver's book any blueprint project as well where you said like you know don't try and win the short game try and win the long game uh, or, yeah. or so, something like yeah, that yeah so like, with that i was well, i was sort of pointing like, out that but, yeah. but but so my, i guess i've got a two a two-part question because i've always been really struck by your kind of shrewdness like of of like how you've carved out this really amazing position for yourself as you described earlier you know you are really successful i mean you you know you 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 probably laugh at me saying that but you know you are working with some of the top people in the world on the biggest brand campaigns in the world like and that is i mean i know really well how hard that is and not only how hard it is to to well it's not even the work it's the trust you know it's it's getting in the position and it's it's maintaining the trust and having those relationships and and in Weaver's book, you were talking about the importance of like, basically like getting on with people, yeah. you know, like, and, and, and so I guess it's a two part question. Like, when did you spot that you had this opportunity really? 
to to kind of because there must have been a point when you thought okay I've got I've, like I can I can pursue that and when did you kind of develop this confidence slash steeliness to sort of follow that I can remember distinctly when it's it's interesting because I as you said it then it came it became clear what it when it was and I hadn't really thought of it but there was an an, op- an opportunity where the fake world of snowboarding photography uh, which let's be honest it is it is it's 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 fun and it's an amazing thing but it's it's not going to pay your bills um I mean, blotto might disagree but like there's a few people have done well definitely but they but, but they i mean i hung, as out a percentage with, of hung out with blow a bit last year and he's still spending 300 days on the road basically you know so like wow yeah so it doesn't compare i don't think and, and but it is its value is greater than money so i'm not um uh, poo-pooing it at all um but the moment which where that transition came was when um orange mobile phone sponsored the british snowboard champs the, the the glory days. Glory days. Um, got a free phone for a year off that. Oh <laughs> did you get one of them? I think I did. Do you remember that? I remember the stories about like they gave not us all, turning They gave us all free phones. SIM cards. Either. Yeah. And I think Ed had this for like three years. Crazy. Like literally gave us a phone and said, yeah. okay, that's free. You know, when I see stuff like that, I just think that, that shows you how much we're paying over the odds for it. That was the high watermark of uh, <laughs> silly money sloshing around British snowboard and I yeah. think, wasn't it? Free phones. Um, so I still work with... Uh, Orange or EE as it is now. I yeah. still work with them, right? But that job, um, at the time I had an agent. Um, I mean, this Rob- is 20 years ago. Must, yeah, must easily. Be. Must easily, be. yeah. I, I can't, I think it was Sasfe. I don't know for sure. But um, yeah, so it was the, the, I had an agent at the time, Will Robinson, and he was, um, he worked at Demon, which is a, 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 it's a different incarnation now, but he's still working hard. Um, lovely guy and and he was talking to uh mnc sarchi who were the agency for for orange at the time um and then i think the story goes that Stu and spence and that were talking to orange as well because Stu and Stu brass and spence claridge were organizing the the actual event and they'd got the sponsorship deal um and orange said to them we've got a photographer and they're like no you need a specialist and they're like we've got this guy nathan and um and uh they're like oh okay yeah so he, he's he'll do um, but you don't need to pay him much or something. It was weird. Anyway, all of that happened. And um, I can't remember, because I wasn't obviously in that meeting, but I do know that something something happened whereby which my rate went down, but it didn't matter because the lady who was the client on set, she attended the the champs, a lady called Yvonne Nash, had never been on a mountain before. And um, I remember Tim Warwood and I sort of befriended her and just, we're nice to her you know of course it's really easy as a photographer to be nice because you're the end product of a lot of people who make difficult decisions and have to negotiate backwards and forwards and build up a a complex relationship whereas the photographer at the end of it all can like hey let's go and go up the half pipe come with me it's amazing you look amazing up here literally helping her across icy car parks and stuff like that just being nice right so from there, M and C Saatchi were happy because I got the shots that they needed. Right. Um, client was happy with me, and client was like, "Can we use Nathan for Glastonbury? Um, and can we use Nathan for um, the uh, what was it, Orange Prize for Fiction or the the Baftas? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And and M and C were like, "Well, it ticks boxes. He, he's obviously not 
he's not failing at the job he can do it yeah it wasn't amazing but i it wasn't required to be amazing but the client's happy so fine go ahead and i still work with mnc saatchi today and so and that is the moment it kind of happened i had the confidence in the snowboard side of things i knew what they needed i knew what would sell in the niche market press but i also understood the branding side of things um that's not my phone i'll point that out who's this that I turn my phone off. Oh, that's someone I've been trying to get on the podcast on, for a while. On, answer it. No, I'm not doing that. No. Live Send on off air. Like, keep it in, Fina. Who Why not? I? Who is that? It's Elon, Kate. Elon Musk. It, yeah, we'll, we'll chat about Elon in a bit. Oh, don't. Um, it's Kate Rue who um, runs the Outdoor Swimming Society. Who, oh, amazing. You know, I'm a swim geek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I've been. <laughs> she was on the apocryphal list from the beginning of the podcast. Get her on is the phrase you should use. And. Um, She's been turning me down ever since. And then she finally, the other week, was like, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, well, if anyone listening to this has been approached by Matt, <laughs> I just want to let you know, it's a very friendly experience. <laughs> and he's, he's promised me I've got veto on the end. Does, 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 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't know about that. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway yeah, we can keep that in. You know, okay. naturalistic, oh. why not? Um, but just to uh, give you a shot. Yeah. There we go. Nice um, little gap. <laughs> so I knew about the branding side of things as well. So that, I, I, it wasn't, doing press PR photography isn't that difficult to do. Um, you just need to be aware of the scene that you're shooting and plausible branding. It can't look too overbranded. It's as simple as that. So I then started to work for MSC Saatchi and then um, Yvonne moved on to a different company, American Express, I think, and then I worked for them. And then she moved on somewhere else. And I still work for all these people. And then people at MNC Saatchi moved on and I worked with them at their new agency because their body of work revolves around stuff that I'd done as well as the rest of the team. But they're in this new office place and they can't call on the people who worked at their old office place, but they can call on me. So they can say, well, I can provide this work for, our, for, for your client roster. And so my entire business empire... My business plan has been just to maintain contact with people, right? And that's sort of what I mean by the long game. Yeah. Because the short game is, listen to me, I'm the photographer, this is what you need. Yeah. Right? And I'm sorry, I can't work like that because I've got things that I need to achieve from this shoot to help build my portfolio because I'm going for this, right? That's winning the short game. And yeah, you can get some banging images and sure, that could produce a portfolio. And yes, it could get you somewhere for the, the, the sort of work you want to get, right? But the way I saw it was, well, you know, even back then in film terms, there's more images on the roll. I can just take more pictures. So give them what they need. Shoot my own thing if I can. But ultimately, it's not the last job I'm going to do. Yeah. Be nice to the client. Be nice to the agency. Bend over and just do what they ask with your own skill level attached to it and it and it's resulted in me working with all these amazing brands and and i say amazing because genuinely speaking pretty much everybody i work for i love working for and i'm not just saying that i know it sounds cheesy but there are some people um take for example under armor that i work for and honestly they are the nicest people because they they sort of gravitate nice people towards them and we're doing shoots like I was over in Portland with Maro Atoji, the rugby player. Yeah. The whole thing was just so nice. It was just a lovely experience. I walked up Mount Hood with him. Never been to Mount Hood before. Mecca of snowboarding. Wow. Never been there before. And I walked up Mount Hood with an international uh, rugby captain. Right. Um, I'm getting paid to do it. It was great. And like all of that results in just being nice and just 
trying to be nice at least to everybody involved and and your crew as well and like all that stuff it's, it's that's that's the long game but there is a there is a dichotomy though isn't there which i did also mention on the text because there because there is a there is a hard edge to what you do as well like there's a, there's a you know you business wise you know your value you protect it you know you must have had to plot a path quite carefully through that world you you know you're quite the, the interaction that we had like sort of demonstrated that you were just like you know you were just really clear no i'm not going to do that because that's not just doesn't suit me whereas mm. like i've been doing what i do for a long time i still don't have that yeah. cut and dry like and i'm i think i think it's a good thing so so i'm interested in well, in, in that, the balance between yeah. the two you know you know what I'm yeah i at. do yeah so that that steeliness and understanding your value um comes at your own expense as opposed to the client's expense right so i know what i'm worth i know what my images do and i know that they work and they do the thing that they're supposed to do and i know this purely from experience which doesn't help a newcomer but you can copy what i do and get the same results right so you, the the images again if they're worth using they're worth paying for now i have a team of people that i work with who are great photographers as well and if in our situation you came to me and you had a budget and i understand budgets are budgets sometimes you've got big ones and sometimes you don't have big budgets and you've got to make it work now i i'm faced with a choice that I, I literally just thought who do i know that deals with the top level of talent <laughs> i was like nathan <laughs> but then you were dealing with big name talent yeah in, we really in, were in and a f- tricky and, situation and for us it was i was like we're a bit out of our depth there to- but the way it was handled was great like mm. the 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 execution and the production side of it because obviously i was helping out from a production perspective yeah. hands off but i mean it, it worked great the client yeah. was totally hyped so. and, and we had some interesting creative conversations at the beginning too which which um were important more important maybe than you realize but the conversations I had at the beginning with your team were more important than the shoot because I was introducing ideas creatively, which they will remember. And then when something comes up, they'll get me in at early doors. And then I start pushing a project in a direction which makes more sense visually for me and for what the market's doing and stuff in terms of imagery. And and that's more interesting to me and my career. I'm doing more and more stuff where I'm, I'm working with art directors at very early stages of projects, creative directors. And and that's interesting to me. So I had that conversation. So that was a box ticked for me. Yeah. But at one point I had to go, okay, right. So that's your budget. Rather than me eating as much of that budget as I can to maintain my fee. Yeah. And it's important to maintain your fee. It's better off that I make this thing happen for you using the incredible talents of Matt Walder, wasn't it? Yeah, Matt did it. Yeah. yeah. And And... It was, you know, so I called Matt up and said, hey man, I've got this thing. This is it. This is the, these are all the questions that you'd need to ask. And I tried to make it as easy for him as possible. Um, I mean, it was a tough situation. I remember you were like, it was in an air, was it in an airport? Yeah, it was, it was like just because the availability high, high of of COVID. We've got on for six hours. Right, yeah. It's got to be done at Heathrow Airport. Crazy. You know, everyone's got to wear masks, but, a lot but of it stuff, needs to be, it needs to look like it. Yeah, it was yeah. like, okay. A lot of the stuff I do is like, you've got minutes. Like one yeah. shoot well, I did with, with, your mate Ronaldo my ex-mate yeah ex-mate sorry yeah um like I, I've done shoots with him where <laughs> he honestly didn't realize he thought we were doing a, a, a tv commercial right and he does that and he's walking off that set onto my set and he's walking through my set thinking he's done and I'm like hey uh, we need to do a he goes oh we're not we're doing stills today and like there's obviously been a miscommunication or something and so I've had to shoot a whole campaign in like maybe three minutes wow but we had, you know, if you if you plan, 
he's good enough. He should be able to accelerate it. And it worked and it was fine. But then other times with him, I've had him an hour late, longer than it, because we were literally playing football on set and dancing and stuff. Because just there, there's, you work around talent schedule, right? And when you're talking about trust, that's where I see quite a lot. It's what I enjoy, actually. It's when um, I was talking to you know, James Bryant. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. He, I've not seen James for years. She has a studio with me. Right. Um, and he, uh, we were talking about it and he works as a, a digital operator for me. So he, um, when I'm shooting, he'll look at the images and make sure that everything coming in is what I think I'm seeing. Um, and in fact, we have a code if stuff's out of focus. We'll shout <laughs> red lines rather than, <laughs> Nathan, you're out of focus. Um, but yeah, so he, he was saying we were doing a shoot with um, Bakayo Saka um, for New Balance another he's a wonderful kid like I'm glad to hear that because I think everyone's got a bit of a bit of a crush on Bakayo haven't they he's so genuine comes across like so lovely doesn't he yeah really nice guy kicked me in the face with a football (laughs) first thing first thing I did right so we were shooting um, it was in a studio in London and his brother was there and to get his brother involved his brother was like feeding the ball all he had to do was kick the ball over my head right I had like a camera there like a 30 grand camera on the floor and he had to kick the ball fairly close to me but above my head right and this is completely within his wheelhouse right yeah. and yes we might have been able to photoshop it but I prefer to get everything in camera if I can and um, so his brother's throwing in and his brother's not paying too much attention he throws it too far Bakayo steps back and we've got like thick grass and slightly thinner grass and he steps onto the thinner grass which changes his angle kicks the ball straight at me the last minute I move the camera out of the way and it just it, I just take it. And it's about, <laughs> probably I'd imagine about 40% power, but my God, I couldn't see straight. Yeah. But in that situation, you've got an option straight away. Yeah. And it's part nerves, I think, that get you to react the way you do. But I was just like, whoa, icebreaker. Wow. <laughs> uh, we're going to remember this for the rest of our lives. Well, at least I am. Jokes, jokes, jokes. Meanwhile, I can't see out my left eye. Like, James is running to check the camera's okay because if that's broken, we need to reset the camera and we've got limited time and all that stuff. But I love those moments of absolute thinking on your feet, plate spinning, kind of just making stuff happen. We did a shoot with Emma Raducanu um, for Vodafone where we used 120 cameras. Sick note. What, sorry? <laughs> Sick note. That... She's always injured, isn't she? Oh, really? Oh, I don't know. She's also wonderful. Um, but I mean, she's... I mean, she's, what is she, 19? It's incredible, yeah. but so... Child. Yeah, but so easy with it. Yeah. Like, she was so... She showed up late, not her fault. We're in Black Island Studios over in West London, and we had a limited amount of time. She had to go off and do another shoot. Um, she's getting all these endorsements in, which is super useful for her career. She gets criticism for it, I get it, but, you know, it costs money to do what she does. So anyway, so we're doing this thing with Vodafone, and we took three days to set this thing up, like 120 cameras we changed those racket strings for like LED glowing strings and then to create like a three-dimensional model of her swinging in the dark in a studio. Anyway, she shows up and um, I get a whisper in my ear from the, um, the uh, client saying, we've got, uh, we've got eight minutes. Like literally, she just stood wow. in front of camera and we had 35 mil film to shoot on as well for, for moving footage to create video. And I'm like, what (laughs) like how do we do this but we made it work you know and i think it turned into 11 minutes we had her for but we got uh, an amazing film out of it and and well in my opinion (laughs) it did what it needed to do and and it it looked beautiful and those moments like it's great you've done all that work you get into that position 
And then it's just allowing... So I was working with a DOP there um, called Jordan Buck. He's also from the snowboard scene. Um, he used to shoot Spring Break. Yeah, I think I know yeah. him. Yeah. Lovely guy. And now he's like um, like Jono, uh, Jono Verity. He's a DOP. Um, Jordan's D- he lives in New York now and he does DOP crazy stuff. He did some Marvel stuff and incredible. But I got to work with him. <coughs> I got to work with him, which was great. And, and, um, and yeah, so I knew... I could, you know, rely on my team to do what they needed to do. And I could be that liaison between her, keeping sure that she's happy, getting what we need. Yeah. Also keeping the agency happy, talking to her agent at the same time, going, we're pretty much done now. Just like jokes, full on dad gags, making myself the butt of the joke, just to keep the energy in the room and keep that. And you can tell from the way I'm talking now, I I genuinely love that. I really do. But you're not, what I'm interested in here is like you're talking about because your ability to deliver a campaign with Emma Raducanu in like eight minutes like in terms of actually using your camera as a photographer does the universal sign for uh, you taking a photo um, that's that's like your experience and your muscle memory isn't it essentially if, if, for want of a better phrase like you know you know you can do that the image side yes yeah you know what I mean like the, the but not dealing with the not dealing with these big people no this is what I'm talking about though and, and um, those stories that you've just told they're about the situation mm. and your ability to navigate they're not actually about the photography no so that's a given the photography is a given that's what I mean yeah like and is is the photography it's not challenging for you right I like it to be. I like to do... I mean, that one was pretty tricky. We didn't know it was so, going to work. So you try and inject some challenge and some creativity in, toast, into the... Yeah. Because um, obviously you talked about the the dark room, yeah. the analog photography, and yeah. you were really quite clear about the fact that that was like the creative passion project mm-hmm. that you keep very separate. So is that is that um, scratching an itch that the other situation isn't? Yeah, because the other situation is creativity by committee. Okay. Right, that's that's the difference I'm trying to get to massively. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I work on a campaign, that's not me saying what we should do is this. Yeah. Um, Ironically, the Omar Adekanu one was a little bit like that, but that was only because I had this idea. So, it's a real diplomat's role in what you're doing. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Which I imagine, sorry to jump in, is is you've shown over the course of this conversation, as I already had a an inkling, you're very adept at that. You know, so it's the only difference between yeah. me and an unsuccessful photographer. So exactly, that, and that's that's what I was sort of. So, but that is a very different thing from you calling all the shots creatively, isn't it? Yeah. So you do. So you you do need to find that balance. Yeah, and and this is something like I often say that my work that I've created is so commercial um, that if you were to click your fingers and it all disappear in a Thanos-esque way. Geek. It would only mean <laughs> that some people didn't buy things they probably didn't need. Well, I but, mean, but but I've made peace with that through invoicing. <laughs> but, That's a great line. But it's true, though. No, and, it, it is true. And if you can inject a bit of creativity and you can maintain that amateur, that from the heart element. Within that environment, yeah, that's winning. Like that is sure, that's great. But do you have that? Is the is the that I want to leave a piece of work that people remember me for and make a difference? Kind of ego led creativity is that in there anywhere, or do you see that as more of the the it, kind of thought process that goes on with among inexperience? So when I did the Dunning Kruger heights, uh, if you like, do you know you know what I mean? Because that's the thing, isn't it? That's the you know like. 
that can be connected to creativity. Like it needs to, I need to use this to make sense of why I'm alive. You know, that is, that is, definitely, yeah, that is yeah. definitely a thing. Yeah, you know? I think that that doesn't really fit very well with commercial photography, which needs to hit certain selling points. Exactly. So where do you, is that important to you? That, uh, that to idea? an extent, but I think that there is a, um, there is an art form in as I'm going to say the word in a meta way. Um, if you were to look at the eighties and look at commercial photography in the eighties, this, cigarette commercials with jaguars next to a swimming pool and like just obscene or i was just thinking of maybe like anton corbin is that how you say yeah it? yeah like almost well, like the sweet spot of like both but but the, in andy itself, warhol I mean, as a collection me. of work yeah <laughs> but as a collection of work yeah. which was there at the time shot for commercial purposes yeah but now stands up as, as a body of work yeah and i i'd imagine that in the future the same thing will be said here. I think there are trends which you don't necessarily notice straight away, which with posterity you will. And there's something there. But in terms of finding meaning personally, like uh, why I'm here, I think that that's um, difficult to do when what you're selling is a a fragrance for Ronaldo. No, but it's interesting this. Like, I mean, Andy Warhol called his studio the factory. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, but he was bit, um, obviously he, but he look was before at, his time. But look point, at but. Damien Hurst, or mm-hmm. you know, like at some point, or you know, Tracy Emin, you know, like they become businesses, don't they? Where the like, there's a brilliant. Um, I think Hurst's a better example out of those two, by the way. Sure, but there's a there's um there's a brilliant documentary about Warhol on the iPlayer, where it makes it really clear, like he he didn't give a shit about what we're talking about. Like for him, the two were. There was no difference, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he certainly seemed to have a, a, an idea of his own value, but also had absolutely no qualms and actively sought out commercial deals yeah. and, and, and then used them to his own end as we're, as we're kind of talking about the examples that you gave, you know. Yeah. And, and I think that from his perspective that people bought into, he, he, you imagine what it's like commissioning Warhol. Imagine what that's like. So you, you, the halo effect of being at that point in his career where the factory was booming and you know, Campbell's soup coming out of his ears. The, <laughs> you, it's a different world. That's nowhere near where, you know, where any other person would be. No. You know, I mean, maybe you could look at David LaChapelle and his associ- association with brands when he does commercial work. You know what you're buying into. I, I did a campaign. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I can talk about that one, but uh, yeah, let's move on from that. But if, so you see... Um, David Le Chappelle's work is very much him. His stuff is is signature him. So when you commission him, you're expecting his version of yeah. You know you know what you're getting. What I'm doing is I'm facilitating, which means that I am moving away from uh, the idea of creating an identity in my own images, which is counter to what you get taught. The idea is to create an identity. The goal of most photography is to create every image. People could look at it and go, that's a name. Be the brand, yeah, Yeah. if you like. Which is also a huge part of the the modern Western concept of creativity, isn't it? And it it also comes back to this thing we talked about earlier, validation in in kind of numbers and all that sort of thing. You know, there's a, especially recently, there's there's a real, you know, you must put your, you must become the brand. You must do it. You know, you know what I mean. And the, and the, there's value in that. And, yeah. and people, 
as you, we've talked about those people today that they're an example. I mean, Burkhardt's another example yeah. of that. Exactly. I think there is a, there's an amazing phrase by Kurt Vonnegut. I don't know which book it was. And he says, we are who we pretend to be. So we should be careful who we pretend to be. That's the full quote. And, and I talk about that a lot with people. And I truly believe that that is the case. That we, at some point, if you want to be something, you have to put that hat on yeah. and be that person before you're actually that person in your own head. Because no one's going to treat you like that person until you treat yourself like it, right? That makes logical sense. Yeah. Now, the be the brand bit is a commercial version of that. Because you could say, okay, we are who you pretend to be. I'm going to pretend to be a photographer. I'm going to go out with my camera that I happen to have and I'm going to take pictures and I'm going to put myself out there and I am now a photographer. I'm going to write photographer under my name and that's what I do. And then if you're going to be a brand, then you are such and such photography and we work with and it's all the kind of, it's a different intonation. You're creating this thing larger than yourself rather than just being who you pretend to be. And and I think that the, the distinction there is that these days you can create a brand out of nothing. Bricks and mortar don't mean anything. With a good website, a good Instagram following, and the right people talking about you, you're as big as any other photographer or creative agency. And and more power to you, you know, go for it. it why does it matter? Does it matter that you're a 13-year-old kid in a bedroom? If you're producing the goods, it doesn't matter. Um, and and I think that this is something where validation, I think that the people yeah, who care com, about... Comes, comes back to it. It does. And people who care about what they're producing and care about making sure they're doing it okay and be cautious. And I think that that's important to be cautious. Um, and there's there's a lot of what if in people's heads. Um, and why? I think what if and why are dangerous but useful things to say. So you can say why a lot. And it, you suddenly get into A level existentialism, right? But then, <laughs> or, or hanging out with a two year old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you say, why not? And then it changes, right? So, uh, and I don't want to get philosophical, but it does apply with validation in that if you're saying, like, what if, why am I any, well, why am I a photographer? Like, I'm not, I could do whatever I want, but like, what, what makes me that person and not this other person? what makes me an actual photographer, not just somebody with a camera. But why are you not a photographer? There is no difference between someone listening to this and me beyond my ability, which you could get if you practiced and did it. Yeah, which is just, as we've been talking about, it comes down to time. <laughs> so self-validation without ego getting in the way. Yeah, there's a quote, it reminded me of another quote, which I'm going to mangle, which is something like, anyone hoping to stand in front of a crowd must learn to play a version of themselves, which oh, yeah. is kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? I I love standing up in front of people and talking to large groups of people who have no idea why they're listening to me. Like this, like, you know me, a bunch of our mutual friends know me, but in terms of percentages, there's a large percentage of people listening to this who have not a clue who I am. But there'll be a certain percentage up till that point who went, oh, maybe I should know who this guy is. It's only me saying you've what, got what no the, need to know. What are the other percentage saying? The other percentage <laughs> is saying, this guy's a douche. But like, I think it's a luxury to be in my position to be able to look at it 
from outside yeah well like, I, I think it's rare i think it is rare and a very obvious question that i quite often ask in in this situation is like where where'd you get the well another two part where'd you get the confidence from to stand apart from it i don't have that like i mentioned earlier like mm. on good days i can be really dispassionate and logical about the whole thing and can separate myself in the way that seems to come quite naturally to you and you know you seem to be able to have the kind of overview of it of of your role in all this and all these different dynamics like quite clearly i do i'd say 60 percent of the time the other 40 percent of the time which is kind of where i am now like i lose the clarity from just different whatever reason you know like so i end up doing stuff like okay i'm not gonna go on instagram like i'm gonna i'm gonna just try and change that you know but whereas you just seem to kind of have that have you always had that or did you have to sort of was that another so byproduct of experience well just just to not be affected by this as you don't seem to be this kind of i think have or or to to say have this clear idea of your role and how to make it work for yourself sort of emotionally spiritually and financially if you like the financial one is um can can only be answered like if, if i haven't got a job coming up like I get booked sometimes like <laughs> two weeks in advance and like I'll, I'll have times where I don't know what I'm doing in four weeks. And that's, you know, that can be staring into the void. But you just look back at what you've done previously last year, this time last year, this time year before. And that that's a luxury to be able to do that and have the confidence that, I mean, I do no marketing. And if I do send an email out like a, this is what I've been up to, I get a some work back from it which is a great luxurious position to be in so i'm lucky on that respect and i don't have to chase for work there's always projects going on and so long as i'm not a dick they'll come to me and ask me if i'm available so that's that the other part about um caring about your position and the validation thing i think i have a well there's two ways of answering that there's the business way of answering that and there's the honest way of answering that. Which one do you want? Both. Okay, the business way of answering that. And this is the one I want your, anyone who's potentially commissioning me to, to remember. <laughs> is it's a confidence in my ability, right? It's a confidence that, that, I, that, that imagery is needed. Like you need commercials made and you need photographs made. And I am in a position with a network of experts that can create imagery. A, a huge field across a huge field of different um, subjects and I I have confidence in that Um, and then the personal answer would be none of it matters none of of this matters none of it yeah I read a brilliant book last year called Orwell's Roses by a journalist called Rebecca Solnit which is about George Orwell the gardener um, apparently he was really into gardening right. she wrote this really interesting book about his life through the prism of his interest in gardening and there's a quote from one of his um, columns where he was basically like if you want to leave anything to posterity forget creativity forget any of your feeble ego led it's just plant a tree yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll, yeah. do, it'll have way more value it'll last longer and it'll have more of an impact on people's lives than anything that you could fucking come up with less people criticise it <laughs> exactly yeah and make a lot more people yeah. happy none, none of this matters yeah like, it doesn't and and you know i think constantly about that yeah every time i walk to my dark room because i tend to work at night i walk up my garden and i look up and i look at the stars and this is going to sound really dumb out loud but it's honest truth 
I'm looking hundreds of millions of years into the past, tens of millions of years into the past, looking at these things. Is this the Elon Musk segue? Kind <laughs> 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 of get him in there, aren't you? I need to. Ex- you need to explain why you. Carry on, carry on, carry on. But the, the point is that we are a speck. N- nobody cares. Einstein was it said not everything that counts does and not everything that can count no what is it he says not everything that that can count does and not everything that does count can and it's like the the, the things that bother me don't, don't matter they don't matter they don't even matter to somebody in a different city or even down the road or my next door neighbor well the, the sad truth is they probably don't even matter to your friends or family no really no like i mean they will matter if they thought about it but they won't be thinking about it because like be... 100 years time 10 years time like no one's gonna care so the reason that that's good do so you, you find that liberating absolutely not depressing no because it gives you a freedom if you know that your outcome might just be a wino in the street and you'd be happy because you'd be drunk then there is a certain kind of release to that that you can do whatever you want not suggesting that's a good way of looking at it, but looking at you and I and being worried about, you know, interacting with people, a room of powerful people who you need to gain the respect of. None of these people matter. I don't matter. They don't matter. We, none of us matter. And if you can connect on a human level with somebody, that has more value than anything, Mm. right? So me connecting with you here doing this is more valuable than my work. Right on set, if I'm connecting with an agent or talent or or somebody, and we have an in, a good moment and we enjoy that what we're doing, and luckily my work generates a lot of those moments. People get really stoked on seeing pictures, and they go, "What? That's a me- I'm really happy with that. Like that is such a good feeling." And it's the moment. It's that as soon as that's been said and done, photos done. Like you know, I don't care really. Yeah, it does do its job because that's usually an indicator as to whether it's going to be popular. But like we shot Andy Murray on top of the Canary Wharf with the city in the background. He rocks up, take photos of him. He looks at the camera and he was just like, "Wow, that's ridiculous!" And it was just this sort of instant gratification, and that's what you're trying to make out of that moment. And then there's this release. And happy, and like everyone's happy, and it's just nice, man. That's 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 all that's important. So that's your validation, yeah, yeah. And if they say they don't like it, I say, well, trust me, everyone else will. <laughs> There's tricks you can do there, like you always ask the hair and makeup people what the mood of the talent is, because they only ever really are truthful with the hair and makeup. Right. There's like they're one of them. Their hair and makeup always happens while everybody else is working hard, and it's always offset. Yeah. So as a director or as a photographer. Speak to hair and makeup. Make them your best friends because they are the ones that have the inside line to talent. Nine times out of ten. So there's stuff like that you can do. I love all that stuff. It's yeah, great, great fun. I'm going off at a tangent here. That's what this is about. <laughs> That's the deal. Go on then, Elon Musk. Go for it. Yes or no? No. Really? You've changed now. <sighs> the problem. I'll, is, I'll right? set some context. Yeah, so we, me and Nath, it was on. It might have been on Twitter, maybe. It was a while ago, wasn't it? I think. Well, I mean, I've been. I'm. I'm quite fascinated by Elon Musk. I think he's an absolute bell end. Mm. And um, I posted a thing on, and I'm just fascinated by like the position that he holds because he seems like to me quite self evidently to be a an a, an awful person. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
uh, yeah, he's obviously like really venerated. And um, I posted a thing on, I mean, this is how long ago this was because I was on Facebook. So it must be like five years ago. I posted like, why should I care about Elon Musk's rocket? <laughs> and 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 my God, that was, that had the most reaction to anything I ever posted on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I got about 90, 100 comments. And my, it was half, yeah, he's a dick. Mm-hmm. And then, but a lot of people were really like, were really de- passionately defended him. Um, See, when you said Elon Musk, yes or no, you didn't say Elon Musk rocket. So for you, because you, so that, so because you, 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 you're very interested in the kind of technological. I'm ad- a sci-fi fan. Yeah, you, I you, love you, you'd like the achievement of 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 SpaceX, yeah. right? And he's a sci-fi character. Yeah, right. He, that's what he is. And the the more I know about him, the more that's in the public eye about him, the less I like him. There's a direct proportion there. I think he's proven himself to be. Uh, unstable at the best of times or maybe his true colors are not nice ones like it's just (laughs) in a way it's refreshing to see him being quite honest about how few fucks he gives about people but no it's uh, you know you don't have to scratch too much on the surface of you know some serious issues um i guess you're right i guess he fulfills a bit of a a bit of a character role doesn't he absolutely and and for people like me and there's a lot of us he was the character that never existed. He's like the um, sort of the rich billionaire that can solve things because capitalism is the is a, is a capitalist society and government and meritocracy is out the window. But having an altruistic dictator in a way is, is a, a way of achieving certain things. And his fascination with space and his connection with, you know, similar authors like... You know, he names his things after Ian M. Banks' um, spaceships. I don't know if you know that, but it's so there's there's connections, yeah, yeah, which he has with sci-fi, and so he felt like one of us. Well, I think Yvonne Chouinard fulfills a similar role at the other end of the political spectrum. To be honest, I met him. You know, really, I went skiing with him. <laughs> I went <laughs> so clang. <laughs> yeah, but, mate, I had I was naive at the time. I didn't. Well, this was a document thing out in Mammoth. Wow, really? Went out, no way. Patagonia trip. Went to the factory. Um, met up with him and we were supposed to go to his lodge no and go way skiing. fucking hell I that's got amazing drunk man and <laughs> I don't drink now I was going to say so you don't a long drink time yeah. ago. Um, but I um, yeah I didn't make the most of that opportunity like I, I took some photos of him and, and but not like just in passing sure and it was really about whereas now if you got if you got Yvonne in the room you'd probably <laughs> yeah but I guess what I mean is you know when Patagonia did that whole like earth is now our only main shareholder i mean yeah. big part of the backlash of that was was similar really like you know oh, like, man. Like, like you know you so what now we're dependent on like friendly billionaires to solve the world's problems and know? he's avoiding taxes yeah, well, that, yeah of course he is because those that, taxes wouldn't be paid towards what he expect what he thought was important yeah. but it's the same thing as the criticism that musk gets isn't it it's like well you're only really like it if you if it as you talk about ticks a few of your personal boxes or mm. you're of the same political persuasion, which is equally valid for Yvonne. But I guess I was just thinking then, you know, like you made a crack about Ronaldo because I'm a big Man United fan and grew up with Ronaldo and it's it's pretty similar really, isn't it? You know, my, my sort of um, veneration of Ronaldo, again, not anymore really, you know. Yeah. But it's also just a character, isn't it? You it know, is, yeah. It's, it's also just responding to And to also, like, you know, with, with people like that, you're you're on the bus, but you're not driving it. No. So it, that's that's a Marcus Brigstock reference to the BBC. You know, right. when you, you you're on the bus, 
if you you know you're if if he's doing what you like you're on musk's bus but if he takes a turn you've got to get off it's important you don't just stay on there because you like where he's going if he takes a wrong turn and you disagree with what he's saying then it's important that you, you you do sort of go okay i like spacex but i don't like elon musk I think that's a completely valid position. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. And I think that the idea of moving off planet, I think, is is important um, for like you know larger reasons. And I think looking after this planet is important as well, obviously. Um, but yeah, he's a lunatic. <laughs> it would seem that way. <laughs> and so is Ronaldo, by the looks of it. I'm looking forward to being sued by him for saying that. I don't think he listens. No. No. If you're listening, Elon. If you're listening, Elon, mate. <laughs> Sorry. And Cristiano. Maybe. Um, well, let's wrap up okay. by... Um, you You said you wanted to ask me a, co- a question or two. Do you still want to do that? Yeah, I'm interested. Because um, we were talking about validation and that side of things. Um, what keeps you going in doing this? Well, I, what you said really struck a chord earlier. Um, I think... I've had a challenging few months for a few reasons and I've noticed that one of the thing one of the ways that I react to that is to sort of be quite hard on myself with the things that I do and that kind of rubbed off on this a little bit and I I I, I sort of when you were talking earlier about like the the you know the idea of like those interactions that make things worth doing and those human connections i actually had a bit of a penny drop moment when you were saying that because i was a bit like because i've really enjoyed this today and this is the first conversation that i've had in person um since i did the episode of type two with chris and lewis which is about six weeks ago now um and this has been really good for me because this has really re- reminded me of why I enjoy doing this because it's exactly like you said. Like, you know, I get, a question I get a lot is, and Tim and Gendel ask me every year, like, what's your favourite episode? And I always say, and it comes back to that thing I was saying earlier about not being about numbers or impact or anything. It's just about the experience that I have very selfishly. And, and that was why I started it. Like, it really was. Like, I started it because, you know, the reason I asked you that sort of commerce creativity question about, you know, your dark room and what you do, I, this, I, I've said this before, but I started this because end of the day, like my day job is running campaigns for brands. Mm. Like it's, it is what it is. We, yeah. It's selling jackets or so trainers. this is your dark room? It is. It completely is. And um, so how does that fit in with type two then? Well, I mean, type two, what well, as in getting paid for that? Right. Well, that was just... Is that why you did a separate thing for that as opposed to... Sort of. I mean, I quite liked the, um, you know, the kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? Like the completest in me liked having a separate thing and mm-hmm. like just, okay, let's just make a new little thing. Um, But I did think that was important to make it distinct. I mean, I'm really lucky with that because they don't... They they literally let me just do what I want. You never know that at the beginning, though, do you? No, you don't. Yeah. And they, uh, the but, amount of projects I've done where it starts out and it's going to be like this amazing thing about no, and 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 human of, and of course, like we we had a lot of chats early on where they said what they thought it should be, but yeah. they really have been brilliant. They really have just let. I mean, I hear from them like once a year, really. You know, that's cool. Um, and so that and you know, like it it, it is a lot of time. This obviously, so I think it's fine to get paid for it. You know, and I just wanted to do it in a in a in a way that 
it's just suited me really mm. you know and and that and like coming up with like a really nice partnership with patagonia was just a really nice way of getting paid rather than having like fucking manscaped ads on there or something do you know what i mean like so you got any recommendations on the manscaping no but the, i listen to a lot of football podcasts okay. and if you uh if you listen to that surprisingly <laughs> i don't this the, is the other the, thing by the way the we new, don't talk about this i know nothing about football tennis formula one but that's probably good though maybe yeah i work with these people because we need to both work in this particular situation. And yeah. That, and that I think maybe helps. But to finish the answer to your question, like I, 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 maybe once a year I get, I, I, get, I find myself like, I've got to do more stuff, you know, like, cause mm. I'm, that's just in my nature anyway. And then I kind of have to go, okay, like maybe calm down a bit and, and bring this thing back to like, I think you should view this as a form of passive therapy it's certainly that only because it is certainly when people listen to it i think that the effect it has on people is different from other podcasts because it's a ramble it's a it has no purpose beyond just intrigue and see where it goes right and and if you give that 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 a value to yourself then i think you know that that's all you need and you do that till you die yeah well i mean exactly and also like i've been really gratified by trusting more in my ability to have these conversations over the years mm. which might sound a bit silly but um it's only well, you're like, very good at it I, but, it's, but it's only the last the outside, it's only the last two years i've actually fully trusted myself to not stress about having the conversations if that if that makes sense yeah, I do. yeah. like in in the first few years i was turning up with notes and you know, I was, oh, you know, I was getting scared and, and I still do get nervous sometimes, especially, do you ever drift especially off? today. No. You've never, like, no. someone gives you a long answer and you don't just go, yeah, yeah. And then I, if I do, it. it's because I'm looking at the, I'm thinking, fuck, I'm going to run out of battery or How like, long have we been, what's that say on it? An hour and 20. Oh, crikey. Um, so, no, because it's too, there's, there's too much concentration yeah. going on. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's too much like, what am I going to say next? And, <laughs> you know, what, what are we talking about? So. <laughs> the, um, the, the last thing I, wanted to ask you was um would you i think you should keep doing the christmas things but i think you should introduce more alcohol <laughs> we're pretty drunk this year i've got to say only because it, it's such a marked difference from everything else and it just gets a bit raucous and i think you need that's it's kind of a release i like it we had a really good laugh doing that this year we always have a really good laugh doing it but i think this year was particularly good fun and i think by the end of it we were all a bit like this is actually a really cool face to face too though right yeah, but it, 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 well, it's tricky with them too. You know what they're like. And Gendal's just had a, a GG. Selfishly had an offspring. So that doesn't help. Nice one, Gend. Yeah, right. uh, no, it's just they're busy boys, aren't they? So we, you know, and again, that's that's an, an example of where I've tried not to just make it a, a chore. You know, mm. this year it's just like, all right, we can't meet. Let's just do it yeah. remotely. And I think you should do it and surprise them with a special guest each time. I, I have tried that. Yeah. Um, get like a chuckle brother in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get, get Milnesy in. Milnsey lovely guy nice one Nath you going to play this tune then oh yeah piano what are you going to play Nath I'm going to play Autumn Leaves alright let's do it go for it
Bravo. So there you go. That was me and Nathan, and I hope you enjoyed it. I actually really needed that one. Like I said to Nathan, I do enjoy them all, but it's so nice. Um, like literally to the point I can feel a weight lift off my shoulders when within five seconds I know I'm just going to be able to relax and enjoy the conversation for its own sake, especially when the interviewee knows the podcast, knows what it's about, has come prepared, got some things to talk about and is generally bought into the way I'm trying to do looking sideways. Um, And I think I also personally really needed to hear Nathan's message as well about remembering why we do creative work, about how judging yourself on numbers and popularity is really a fool's errand. I mean, I'm a 46-year-old man who's been doing this for a long time. I do know all this, but it doesn't mean I'm immune from it. I mean, God, a lot of the articles are right on my Substack are about this whole topic about how to quiet the voices that um, stop you from doing this. But like I say, I'm not immune from it. And I definitely had a period towards the end of last year where I was basically sabotaging myself creatively by falling prey to the comparison trap and just generally on a bit of a downer if I'm being honest um so I found Nathan's expert passionate analysis of the dynamics at play here fascinating and much needed at least for me so thanks Nath big thanks for coming on the show a massive thanks for that much needed dose of new year perspective and thanks for the print that you gave me as well afterwards we did a little tour of Nathan's dark room and um as he talked about, he's got just loads of beautiful experimental prints in there. And he was like, do you want one? And I was like, fucking right, I do. Um, so thanks, Nath. Really appreciate that. So housekeeping corner. And yeah, like I said, I really just want to flag once again the changes I'm going to be making to Looking Sideways, which I did mention in the special housekeeping corner edition I put out last week. So to recap, in case you missed that, starting from this month, well, I actually did it last year, but no one would have noticed. So, you know, I'm sort of, saying it was this month but i've migrated the entire newsletter and podcast to substack uh why have i done that well i i think substack is a natural home for what i do it's an ad and algorithm free space um that i've kind of explored now as a writer for the last couple of years really i mean i think one of the interesting things actually about going on substack i first went on there because I just wanted some somewhere new to host a newsletter. Because I've been doing the newsletter, the 10 Things newsletter, for about I, probably years, actually, like five, six years. And that was hosted on Campaign Monitor, which used to charge me every time I put one out. And as that mailing list grew, that was becoming quite expensive. I think it was like 50 quid every time I put one out or something, which is obviously pretty ridiculous. Um, so I was a bit like, fuck this. And somebody... Um, said oh try substack is you know and then when i was on substack i was like actually that you you can turn this into your own publication basically which is what i've kind of slowly been doing over the last couple of years i've kind of been experimenting with it try to work out how to use it um while also putting the newsletter out on there for free which has been nice and then i kind of was like ah, i can put the podcast on here as well and it's all going to be like this quite neat elegant solution and then they've obviously their whole business model is about getting people to uh, get paid for their work. They take a cut. I mean, that seems fair to me. Um, So that's what I've decided to do, basically. I'm going to run it on Substack. Uh, The podcast will run as usual. The newsletter will will run as usual. Uh, I'm really hoping that the community that I've 
been lucky enough to foster as part of looking sideways which primarily has lived on instagram but um people are moving over to substack i'm really hoping to continue to develop that because that is one of my favorite parts of the whole thing um and i'm going to turn on paid subscriptions to try and finance this whole platform in a much more collaborative way without resorting to ads because we all know what i think about ads so how's it going to work well i'm going to keep continuing to release the same stuff i've always released the weekly podcast episodes the weekly type the monthly or well it's kind of bi-monthly these days type two episodes the weekly 10 things newsletters the books stuff like the db fund my articles the guest articles the open threads everything still going to be doing it but it's all going to be like i say hosted on substack and i'm going to be splitting it into free and paid subscriptions so if you couldn't give a fuck about that and you just want to keep listening to the podcast, you're in luck because basically the podcast will still appear in your feed and you'll still get type two for free. Um, and if you're wondering what I'm on about with this newsletter thing in Substack, then, you know, whatever, all good, you do you. Um, if you are signed up to the newsletter, you're probably signed up as a free subscriber. Um, and the 10 things roundup email, which goes out every Friday when I've got my shit together and which will be more regular now, um, and which I've got many, many thousands of subscribers now. That's going to remain free. Um, so if you've already signed up for that and have supported what I do so far, then thanks, appreciate it. But where it's going to change is, like I said, I'm going to turn on a paywall. So paying subscribers are going to get more, really. They'll get the podcast, the weekly 10 things, but they'll get access to the full archive, my articles, my guest articles, and the people I've been lucky enough to have as guest writers, who I do pay, which is another reason why I want to get... Um, you know this working because it'll mean i can actually get the best writers in the game to come and write for me and i'm going to pay them which is nice um in addition paid subscribers they're going to get access to special bonus episodes i'm thinking i might do you know the occasional live chat with friends of the show but i think one of the most interesting things is i'm going to develop the open threads much more um, i've done about four of those on substack it's basically you pose a question and people comment They've been really, really popular, which has been um, really lovely to see. And like I say, it's been a great place for that community to sort of gather and have a chit chat. Basically, from this point on, I'm going to be getting um, prizes from my um, friends in the industry. So far, I'm thinking Finisterre, Patagonia, DB, Yeti, Goodray, Dana, that type of brand um, who I've got relationships with. And... Um, they're going to sponsor these open threads. So as an example, I'm going to kick things off on Tuesday, January 24th with an open thread on my Substack with Chris Nelson and Lewis Arnold in which they'll be answering questions about all things the big C. This one is going to be in association with my friends at Finisterre who've donated a Ulex wetsuit for the best question, which will be chosen by Chris and Lewis, which I think you'll agree is a fucking pretty good prize for logging onto an open thread thing and posting a question which you're probably interested in anyway um that first one is going to be free but after that the open threads are only going to be available to paying subscribers the one after that for example is going to be with my pal brusty who i have had on the show he's going to be taking questions on his new book barely made it um as a prize there's going to be a copy of barely made it and also my friends at db are going to be donating one of their amazing new backcountry backpacks so again pretty amazing prize really and that kind of thing is going to be happening more and more frequently and that is going to be open to paid subscribers only after this first one like i say um i'm also going to be using the substack chat feature 
to do special Ask Me Anything sessions with me and guests after each episode. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, I'd kind of do all this anyway on Instagram with like the question things and sharing the DMs and all that stuff. But I'm just going to move it all to Substack basically and make it much more worth everyone's while, really. So how much is all this going to cost? Um, I'm going to be asking paid subscribers to chip in seven quid a month or so. Um, that is the price of um, one, well, half a paperback, um, one pint in London and probably like four cups of tea from Carrots Cafe where I go surfing in Shoreham. In other words, it's not that much money considering what I actually end up putting out if you're already listening. And um, yeah, I know this is quite a departure for um, listeners who might be kind of thinking, oh, okay, this is a bit weird. Um, I'm wondering if it's worth signing up. So if that's you, and imagine that's probably a lot of people, um, I've set up a couple of codes for Looking Sideways listeners, which I'm only going to talk about on here. Um, one of those will give you a 60-day trial for free. Literally, just put the code in, sign up for free. I mean, that means you're going to be able to enter the competitions that I'm talking about for the next two months, if nothing else. There's another code which will give you 20% off for the first year. Um, which is also a pretty good deal. So to redeem these, the couple of uh, web addresses, lookingsideways.substack.com forward slash 60 days with the number 60 or lookingsideways.substack.com forward slash six months with the number six to redeem either of them. Um, also, I mean, if you want to sign up for the for the newsletter free or paid, you head to um, lookingsideways.substack.com or head to my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com where you're going to see a pretty obvious sign up portal so there you go however you choose to sign up like i say you might not choose to sign up you might just be like mm, no no you're all right mate it's going to keep listening to the odd podcast um you do you i appreciate it that's nice um if you do want to sign up then you will be sent a link to an open discussion thread where you can introduce yourself um send me questions give me shit you know, all the usual stuff um, and generally just say hello. And yeah, there's you can, like I said, there's a lot on there right now. Lookingsideways.substack.com. So that's it, really. Um, thanks for listening. Thank you again to Nathan. And oh, a f- final thing. I'm taking um, contributions for articles, which I'm going to pay for. So I, I'm actually going to, I forgot about this bit, so I'm going to say it. Another thing I want this to be, obviously, well, not obviously, but um I work really hard to try and help people get into the industry and to try and provide a platform for stories that can't really find a home anywhere else in in the current media landscape or the industry. That's what the DB Fund was all about, for example, um, which is continuing in 2023. And we will be mentoring the two winners this year. So with all that in mind, in the spirit of that, I am taking contributions for guest articles on this Substack page, which I will pay for. So if you've got an idea, I'd suggest you go over to www.lookingsideways.substack.com. Have a look at the stuff that's on there. Think about the type of thing that I, um, you know, that you want to pitch me. Maybe even read the article that's on there, which is a guide to pitching. I mean, that'll help. Um, I mean, I'm literally telling you how to do it on there. Um, and send me some ideas and um, I'm printing some you know one of the ones I've just printed is from listener Melissa Belongia who read 
the um, What is Snowboarding Culture column that I wrote for Pleasure, which I published on the Substack, and um, sent me an article in response, which I really liked. So I've published and I'm paying her. So there you go. So that's how it's going to go down from now on. Um, hope you choose to support it. Either way, thanks for listening, like I say. Um, and if you've made it this far, thank you. I'm really looking forward to hearing what everybody thinks. And I'll see you next time. Nice one.